Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Build Your Team show. Listen, I know you are working on building your team, or maybe you're pulling your hair out like I am today, managing the team. Yes, we all have those days and those times. My guest today, Mega Doherty, she is no stranger to those. She is running an agency, but we're going to talk about her team, how she's built it, and what she has done in the past. And as always, Build Your Team is brought to you by Client Attraction Pros. Hey, it's time that you become the thought leader of your industry, and we're going to help you do that and make it fast, easy, and fun. Megan, welcome. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here and to be with everyone who is here listening. Well, one, I'm glad that we're getting to do this. You and I are new fast friends, right? Very much so. Um, we met, we were on your show. So by the way, if you haven't yet, go check out Megan's show. You can start by listening to my episode if you'd like, but... You should. It's a good one. <laughs> Definitely go start watching or listening to her show as well. So, Megan, I want to take you all the way back to the absolute beginning when you started your agency and you were at that mm -hmm. place where you realized, I can't do this alone. I need mm -hmm. help. One, what was going through your mind? And two, how did you hire your first person? Oh, that's great. And it's kind of fun to go back there. So to, to set the stage, it's 2017 and I've just started this business. Now I, I wasn't completely alone. I have a co-founder at One Stone Creative. Mm. So her name is Audra Casino. She is an audio production expert engineer. Mm. And she's the one who approached me and she's like, Hey, do you want to start a business together? And I said, yes. And so we're like, okay, what can we do together? My background's in digital marketing. Hers is in broadcast audio. So we thought, okay, we can produce podcasts for business owners. So initially for the first six months or so, we were okay alone with the amount of business that we had. She was handling the audio. I was doing the other things that we offer as an agency, like show notes and social media and consulting, all that stuff. But then, you know, we started to get a little more clients. We got a little too busy and like, yeah. it was way too busy for two people to have an enjoyable life and also be making money. But we weren't yet making enough money to make hiring a really easy choice, which is, I'm sure, a situation no one listening has ever found themselves <laughs> in. But that's completely unique to our situation, of course. Completely. But we decided we really did need someone to handle. The first thing we wanted was admin support. Mm -hmm. So when we looked at the tasks that we had, the audio was specialized. We didn't want to hire for that yet because Audra had plenty of bandwidth. What I was doing was not at all specialized for the most part. Some of like the strategic consulting kind of show design, right. like these right. things, I had to do them at least for now. Scheduling blog posts, uploading podcast episodes. These are not things that I needed to be doing. Yes. So we need admin support. And that was kind of how we decided that was the first hire that we needed to make was someone who could do more general admin tasks within the business. And hopefully we'd go from there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so makes a ton of sense, mm -hmm. right? Makes an absolute yeah. ton of sense. And we talk about that a lot too here on this channel, just that you're bringing in somebody, but your first hire especially needs to be somebody who is taking over a job that you were doing. So it's not like, oh my gosh, we're not doing the books. No one's paying attention to the accounting, which is bad, by the way. <laughs> you just say, you go run and, and take care of our accounting. It's not that. Right. That's uh, what I do now. That's <laughs> not what I did then. <laughs> right. And so how did you go about like, okay, what was the anxiety? Mm -hmm. Let's start there. What was the anxiety? And then how did you overcome that anxiety and actually yeah. make that first hire? 
So the anxiety was in our business, a lot of tiny details for every client have to be done correctly every week. That's the linchpin on which we built our reputation. We keep our relationships for each individual show that we produce. And at the time we were producing maybe five, there were about 20 things that had to be done correctly every single week. That's a lot of things to get right. And that means we needed to hire for something that's really, really hard to hire for reliability. <laughs> We did not do that correctly the first couple of times. I don't mind mm. saying it took a few tries to find someone who could really fill that role well. But the anxiety was that we wouldn't be able to. And that anxiety proved to be quite well founded in the early days. <laughs> so you went through a couple of hires before you got it right. Why didn't you quit? Oh, gosh. Well, that would have been having to get a job for somebody else. <laughs> and that was a far worse prospect for me than, you know, in a pinch, I could always go in and do the work myself if needed. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't like a catastrophic, if it all goes wrong, this is like, there's no recovery from option. And I knew the good hire was possible. I'm not a particular genius in any of these tasks I was trying to hire for. If I could do it, someone else could do it. It was a matter of finding someone whose kind of interests and aptitude and kind of professional values matched the role. Because of course, as you know, you can't hire someone who's going to care about your business as right. much as you do. So it was finding someone who cares about kind of the diligence. In the course of it, we found out one of our major company values, which is we do what we say we're going to do. Hmm. And that underlies everything else that we do. And so if I can talk to someone during an interview process and they're like, oh man, I love that. I'm so into doing what we say we're going to do. That's a person who I think I know we're going to be able to work with really, really well. Yeah. That's awesome. I sarcastically asked you the question, why didn't you quit? Because so many of us feel that way though. We feel like yeah. I hired one person, they didn't work out. And I hired another person, they didn't work out. So either I can't hire, and so I just got to do this job, or this business doesn't work, right? Oh, it's right. true. There's so many things that go into it, too. It's like, are we charging enough to justify the kind of hire that we can pay enough then to be doing that really high quality? Or we have to fix our pricing. We have to fix what we're paying people. We have to fix yeah. flexibility and work hours. And I had a lot of beautiful theories. I had managed a large team at another company that I'd worked at previously. And so like, oh, I know everything. I've got all these theories and these philosophies that I'm going to polish off and we're going to live by them. And they're going to be fantastic. And then you put them into practice. And when you're the actual owner, it's really different. And it oh, yeah. really does feel a lot more tense that managing someone else's team is very different than managing your own. Yeah, absolutely. And you said something that I don't want to gloss over and it tied into the joke we started with here, which was, can I afford to hire this person? Mm -hmm. Do I have the money to be able to hire this person? Not even do I have enough work. I'm overwhelmed. I'm drowning. I got the work. Can I afford the it? Money. And one of the things, especially for early stage is we often undervalue our time and don't charge enough. <sighs> Did oh, you yeah. run into that in this process early in the hiring of, because you kind of touched on it, on having to mm -hmm. update your pricing? Oh, I'm still not completely through that process, to be completely frank. We look at pricing regularly. We look at our mm -hmm. offering and our service mixes regularly. We make changes, especially to what we're offering quite frequently. Sometimes we raise prices because costs go up. And I know that just looking at competitors, I'm still probably undercharging by about 30 to 40% based wow. on what kind of our nearest equivalents are. But I'm kind of okay with that just because of, I love the type of people that we're working with as clients right now. And it is a really good match for a particular kind of part of the market. And I want the business to be sustainable and to be profitable, but I'm not looking to be the next mogul of any kind. So well, there's some comfortable flexibility there in terms of what we can do. But my main impetus for raising prices when we have to is it is more about being able to make sure my team is compensated well than myself personally. Yeah. No, that's a really great point. I was with a friend of mine, Scott Cunningham, who from the other side of Canada over in Vancouver <laughs> last week, 
And he was talking about this exact thing. He said that the thing that he had to do early and realize early in his agency was he had to figure out if I had a rock star, how much would I pay them? Where can this role go to? And then set my pricing so that I could pay people at rock star level. Smart. He said, I changed his hiring paradigm because now he had the clients that were paying for rock stars and he felt more comfortable to go out and get a rock star. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think that makes sense, especially if you need rock stars. I would say not every business needs a lot of rock stars. In many cases, what you need, you know, is someone who's, again, my big thing is just really dedicated to doing a good job consistently. There's so many different personality types, right? That you've got to take into account when you're building a team and figuring out what you want the culture of your team to be. Yes, absolutely. And then we're going to come back to figuring out the culture in just a moment. But before we go too far, because we just touched on the rock stars and I was Mm going to go back to another term that you used earlier, particular genius. And you mentioned your co-founder here that she has the particular genius in audio engineering, right? Yeah. And so in that case, if you're hiring someone to work for her or to replace her, you are looking for a rock star who has particular Mm -hmm. genius. Right. Yeah. Have or passion and trainability. Point? Say again. Or passion and trainability. And so, yeah. So let's talk about that because a lot of business owners feel that. And I've heard this from a ton of business owners over the years that it's so hard to find somebody who does what I do. Only I can do this. And so I'm glad that you could see yourself not there at all. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Personally. That's awesome. But for all these other business owners who find themselves like, my business is me. Mm. No, it's not. <laughs> so, so, <I> mean, <laughs> Look, I'm not going to say this is an easy thing to do. I spent a long time being a company girl. Other places I worked with, I got really invested. I, my identity was super wrapped up in my job and it made me completely miserable and burnt out. And I was basically without creative or any other capacity at the age of 27. I started this new business and I absolutely made the distinction, this is going to be a business. I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be creatively and intellectually stimulating. I'm going to do a good job and we're going to provide value. And at the end of the day, I'm going to close my computer and I'm not going to think about it till the next day. I love what I do, but it is definitely not my identity anymore. Yeah. And I try to maintain that for my team too. I don't want them working nights, weekends. I mean, it's flex schedules. People work whenever they want, but we produce podcasts for a living. We do a good job, but no one's going to lose a leg if we screw up. (laughs) It's... It's important to keep our commitments, but it's not brain surgery. (laughs) Yes. That's so important. And so now let's start talking about culture and let's look. Yeah. Let's talk about culture. Add culture. So now we've hired some people, right? Mm -hmm. And did you think about culture before you hired them? Or did you end up with a group of people and start to say, hmm, (laughs) what kind of soup are we making here, guys? I guess our situation might be a little bit different than many. There's not a whole lot of collaborative work that happens within my team. The different roles are fairly autonomous. And so we've got kind of our audio camp on one side and they work together really well. They're brothers, actually. (laughs) The first person we hired, I said, Erwin, you're fantastic. Do you know anyone who's just like you? And he's like, well, I've got a little brother. I'll take responsibility for training him if you'll hire him. And I said, okay, (laughs) that sounds great. (laughs) And now they're both wonderful. And then our writing department is kind of another area. And that's a wonderful woman who has her own business. She's based out of Trinidad and works with teachers who moonlight as podcast show notes writers. And so she handles 
all of that. And then we've got Audra, myself, and our account manager, Darla, who kind of just handles the day-to-day. And everyone gets along, but we don't do team building exercises. That's not that kind of place. Everyone's friendly, professional, polite, but I wouldn't say we wouldn't all go camping together, probably. Yeah. Okay. Understood that. Little known fact, I'm actually from Trinidad too. So... I've been informed on very good authority that so is God. <laughs> Those words came from the mouth of a Trinidadian, for sure. Yes. <laughs> no doubt about that. I could probably trace the source of that statement <laughs> if we really needed to as well. And how it propagated throughout the millennia. Uh, I would love to hear that story. It has to do with the Holy Trinity, which mm-hmm. is where Trinidad got its name. Oh, that makes sense. Right. And the peaks that Columbus saw when he came, which is why it was called Trinidad because of the three peaks and the Trinity. So, yeah. Oh, marvelous. I'm going to yeah. talk to Hazel Ann and she'll be impressed with my new knowledge. Yeah. That's a little bit of the history there. No, very but, cool. Thank you so much for that. Yes. So, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and found God in Trinidad. <laughs> anyway. We digress, but that's the fun here of being friends and being able to just talk and that type of thing, right? And so- And that's one of the fun things I find too about getting to have a team that's distributed around the world is I get to learn so many things about other places that I wouldn't know otherwise. It's marvelous. And that's exactly where I was going to go. So Mm -hmm. the next side of this is you have a team that's distributed around the world. Mm -hmm. I remember in my twenties when I had a different company in my twenties, I was doing consulting and I worked within a company that I was doing consulting for within a particular department and the head of that department was so bullish that he had to see everybody every day that he got me an office (laughs) to show up to, even though I was only there like a few days a week, dedicated a whole office space because like, I want you here, but the world has changed. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, it has. But so has management. Now, you Mm -hmm. said you were a corporate girl for a while and you did that whole thing. It was in startup world, but still. (laughs) That's even tougher. And so that's a great comparison because so many Mm -hmm. of our listeners are in the startup world in some way, shape or form as well. So tell me, how has management changed from in-person to virtual? Well, I can't speak very much to in-person management. The company I've worked at before was kind of hybrid initially. And when hybrid, there was never an office. It was sitting around the boss's dining room table to work a couple times a week instead of at home, right? That's internet marketing startup world. The team was always fairly distributed. So when I learned management, I really learned about it kind of from the virtual distributed way. I mean, I've certainly had like managerial style talks with people face-to-face when that was Mm -hmm. come up, especially Mm -hmm. in earlier days. But for the most part, I've been working remotely since 20. 12, 2013 and building teams that way. So that's kind of where my expertise more is on the virtual rather than the in-person management. Well then give us that then. (laughs) Tell us, what have you learned about virtual? If you were to distill it down into a few tips, Mm -hmm. what would you tell someone who's saying, Hey man, I'm struggling with virtual management. Gosh, the first thing I'd probably say is look at your hiring and look at your team. Did the people match the roles that you need done? And then ask yourself a couple of questions is what do you need to be confident that something is going, like what signs, what cues, what information do you need to know to be comfortable that things are getting done as they need to be? Mm -hmm. So I've got a bit of a story about this. Despite all of my grand theories and great experience management, when I first hired our account manager, I micromanaged her and I was getting involved in the process and I was kind of gumming up the works in different places. And I am forever grateful 
that she virtually sat me down in a Slack channel one day and she said, Megan, please back the F off and let me do my job. <laughs> well, she said, very politely, more politely than that. That was the gist of it was that I was in the way. And she was completely right. And she's like, I'm going to send you an email every morning with anything you need to be aware of on like the ongoing day-to-day -day basis. Other than that, please don't answer any emails. Don't post anything. And I said, okay. And now I get my update email every morning. It's been working great for the last two years, ever since yeah. we had this conversation. But that was what I needed was just to know if there was an issue. I didn't yeah. need to go look and try to find issues. I needed to trust that I'd be told yeah. and have someone that I could trust to tell me when something was coming up. And so being able to you know, have people on your team who feel comfortable one telling you that is without price in terms of the value. And then also being self-aware enough, if you can manage it to be able to take that kind of feedback or even preempt it if you can. Yes. Yeah, that's a really great point there. And it's about the system that you set up. And the thing that I love there, because we talk about this a lot here too, is understanding that everything has to kind of fit together. And in order for it to fit together, you have to know who you are and what it is that you want and are expecting, right? So for you, you want that daily email. I've got a friend, Lauren, she's the same way. She actually has a very similar story to you. Right. And I'm glad to that, not be alone. That's great. <laughs> Whereas if you send me an email every day, you guarantee I will ignore it because mm -hmm. I saw this yesterday. Why am I seeing it again today? I don't want to see your name again today. Talk to me once a week, <laughs> once every two weeks. Right. But that then informs the type of people that we hire. Right. And so yeah. recently I did hire somebody and he loves to send daily emails. And I'm just like, yeah, somebody else has to manage him because I can't. But that's what's so great to be able to figure out and learn. You have to kind of experiment, I think, especially if you're new at it. You've got to try out the daily updates. And if the daily updates drive you mad, you've got to try out maybe weekly. Or I know we've got one client who has her team really well trained and organized on using different channels for different types of communication. Mm -hmm. Text comes through, so that's an SOS, that's an emergency. If it's an email, that means this is not urgent, it needs your attention, but sometime within the next couple of weeks. And getting that understanding of the patterns of communication yeah. are yeah. really, really good. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really, really great suggestion because that is one of the things that maybe you've experienced this too, that I've seen a lot of people struggle with in the virtual environment is mm -hmm. there are now so many different ways to communicate. So many different, met a new friend last week who runs an agency out in California. I met him after I was on stage doing a presentation and he mm -hmm. said, dude, I took some screenshots of your slides and sent it to my team and they've already implemented it. Right. And I was super excited, mm -hmm. super grateful, but then it took five minutes for him to find where they sent it because he had to check seven different channels to figure oh. out where they sent it to him. Right. Oh, and, that would be maddening. I would find that very challenging. <laughs> but that's all of us. And we yeah. run into to that a lot. And so part of the system is also figuring out, okay, yeah. we communicate this way, right? For us, we have Slack and ClickUp. Ours is similar. We've got Slack. We've got Notion is what we use okay. for ongoing yep. project management. And then we do email because there's a lot of client conversation that happens as well. So we've got a couple of inboxes that we're all in. Yeah. Email drives me nuts. <laughs> I think I might be the last person in the world who doesn't hate email. I love email. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Email among multiple people drive me nuts, right? And so we saw that by there is someone who manages the mailboxes and if information comes in, if it's 
stated information. In other words, information that we need to keep around for a long time, mm -hmm. right? So for example, a client decides that they're going to change their ideal customer profile. That's a big deal. You need to know that that needs to be distributed right? information. We actually have a company wiki for every single client. That's great. Oh, we've and got something so similar in Notion. That's where that. that goes, right? Somebody writes in and, oh, I don't like this thumbnail. That goes to ClickUp. Oh, that's good. It's always interesting to hear how other people are managing that because I think I've been starting to feel in the last little while, it's just like, mm, we're due for an upgrade. Some of these systems are, I feel like we're carrying excess communication baggage at the moment, but I haven't identified exactly where it is yet. Yeah. But definitely we're probably sharing a little too much in too many places. I get that. And that's why we <laughs> streamlined. Yeah. You have to do an audit on how things are working. Annual might be a little much, but annually or every 18 months and just be like, okay, do we actually need all of the softwares that we have? Do we actually need all of the oh. channels that we're using? Just a little trimming the fat time is very valuable. So we do that quarterly. You do that not, quarterly? No, not oh, on the communication. Wow. Hold on. Not on the communication okay. side, but on the tools. Okay. So once a quarter, I get a report on all the tools that we are paying for. So it gets a little bit tricky there because there are some tools, as you know, that based on usage, you don't pay for them and people are using. And so that kind of flies under the radar. Mm -hmm. but we get a once a quarter report on all the tools that we pay for. And then those tools get categorized by the departments that use them. And the, mm -hmm. each department head has to prove I'm still using this and there isn't something Ooh. better. Wow. Because at this point, we're using like 40 different tools. Yeah. Right. And yeah, the $10 here, the $15 the here. It does really sneak up on you. It really does. I'm not even lying to you. The first time we did this, we saved $800 a month. <laughs> All right. I'm adding a little notion to my to-do list for the week to, <laughs> to maybe and, do a good tech audit. And that's why we've gone to once a quarter. Yeah, no, that's really sensible. So yeah, but anyway, again, the, the point here, guys, and you're hearing us talk through some of this, <laughs> it's about systems, right? And it's, it's about, about figuring out the systems that you're going to work in and making sure that those are communicated and that everybody's on the same page. So you heard Megan say that a few times, like, we know that this is how we do it, right? Yeah. And everybody knows this is how we do it. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but it means that's what you do. Yeah. If you're in that place right now where you've got a team and there's communication or anything all over the place and you don't know which way stuff is coming from, you have a problem with mm -hmm. systems. There's an exercise. I do it whenever I feel like I've lost the plot and I work through it with sometimes team members or clients. It's writing the, I call it the standard operating procedure of reality. We all know how things should work ideally when we all get these wonderful tools that are supposed to save us a bunch of time. But then if you actually sit down with the people who are doing an actual task and actually list out every single step in the process as it is currently being done, that gives you a really good idea of where the gaps are, where the friction is. I've definitely fallen into the trap of writing like a standard operating procedure for a new task I want to hand over for a new person I want to hire and writing the idealized version without adding all of the things that actually happen that right. are actually part of the job. So yeah. getting that really cold, hard look at reality is a little humbling sometimes, yes. uh, but also very, very valuable. Yes. 
Yeah, and so I'm a huge systems guy, in case you couldn't tell. And so we do lots of recipes. We've got somebody new on our team for YouTube. So he's going to be seeing this video because he's going to be posting this video. And I just showed him. We have 20 SOPs on YouTube alone. Wow. Okay. But our process is this. If you're doing a process and you have to write an SOP, great. And we have a training on how to write an SOP. Mm -hmm. But you cannot submit the SOP unless it's been verified by another person. I love that. That's so great. And verification means that they did all the steps yeah. themselves. Oh, that's marvelous. And that's how we get to the standard operating procedure of reality. Like <laughs> what's really going on. Good stuff. The point though, guys, is what you're hearing is here are two different ways of skinning the cat. <laughs> the important thing is that we get the job done and you build systems in your business. Now, I know you've got a ton of systems because oh, yes. with 20 things to do every week for every single client times the number of clients and times make it. <gasps> I did the math. I haven't done it in a couple of years. The last time I did it, it was something like 300 odd individual moving parts that had to be accomplished every single week at the right oh. time in the right order. <laughs> But I think about it, it staggers me sometimes that we pull this off, but it's also very satisfying to get that many checks on a to-do list every month. I can imagine. And so that's great. And it's great that you've been able to pull that together. But now I want you to do me a favor though, yeah. because we've been talking around what you do <laughs> for the last 25 minutes or so, <laughs> right? That's true. We never actually talked about what it is I do for a living. Yes. <laughs> So before we go, I want to make sure that everybody knows the particular genius that <laughs> your company brings to the market and how you can help them. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that opportunity. So at One Stone Creative, we produce podcasts and specifically we produce podcasts for existing businesses to leverage in what they're working on. So as much as I love it, we don't produce true crime or much in the way of passion or hobby podcasts, or, and we don't do too many podcasts that exist as businesses in and of themselves. If you're a professional service provider, lawyer, speaker, author, consultant, coach, and you think a podcast can help you grow your business, you're probably correct. We can help you do it. And so we go from show design, figuring out the whole thing to creating the assets around it, producing episodes on a weekly basis. And I have emphasized our dedication to getting things out on time. We do not like to miss release dates. And we create social media shares. We do tracking on stats and metrics. We go really deep into how the podcast can be leveraged for your specific business. It's a lot of fun. I nerd out on it pretty heavily. And uh, my team is pretty awesome. 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 Well, y'all heard that <laughs> you need to grow your business. Podcasting is a great option. How do I know you're listening to us right now? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> we would not have met were it not for podcasts. Yes. So Megan, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And for everybody who's listening, I really hope that what you take away from today is understanding that you've got to know who you are before. And if you already have a team right now in managing your team, you have to know what it is that you want, what it is that you expect, how you want things to work, and then start to create systems around that. And then find the people who can live within those systems and thrive. You don't want people who just survive in your systems. Mm -hmm. You want people who thrive in your systems because it's the way they work too. Megan, thank you for being here, my dear. Oh, Atiba, thank you for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's all mine. All right, everybody. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>